0: Hello, and welcome to Maine Golf Talk. We are your hosts, Zach Zomlow and Henry Fall. In these podcasts, we'll be discussing what makes Maine Golf so special. We'll be sharing our own experiences and knowledge as both players and coaches. We'll also branch out to discuss hot topics in the game and chat with special guests to hear their stories, all to keep you in the know and help you improve your game. Let's get into today's podcast. All right, welcome back to Maine Golf Talk. Today we have a very special guest, good friend, Emily Bouchard, three-time Maine State women's amateur champion. Emily, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks, Henry. Thanks for having me. <laughs> uh
0: so tell me, what are you uh what are you doing in this uh social distancing time? Are you I, I believe you're down in Louisiana, correct?
1: Yeah, so I'm living in Louisiana now my job we've gone to what we're calling emergency staffing that way if somebody were to test positive our facility doesn't have to shut down and then not be able to provide services um, as air traffic controllers for those that don't know what i'm doing anymore Um, so we're working five days on 10 days off which is excellent when you have the time off of course i've got lots of projects i'm trying to get done in those days off but um yeah, it's a strange world we're living in.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I, and I remember, I think the last time maybe we saw each other, you had just, like, gotten a perfect score on the, the air traffic controllers test, and I know you were pumped about it, and, and it's great to see, and, you know, now you're you're fully in the field and everything, And but, yeah, strange times, huh?
1: Yeah, it, I mean, it took a long time to get in. I think I waited uh, after college. I think it took six years for me to get picked up and in the job that I wanted, but it was worth the wait. Now I'm here, obviously it's very easy to say that. Had I still been unlucky, I would have been even more frustrated than before, but um, yeah, it's nice. It's brought me to some uh, states that I not normally would have been to. And obviously now living in Louisiana, I never would have thought I'd live here. And it's opened up my eyes to an entirely different world. I know that sounds crazy, but the lifestyle here is completely different than what it is in Maine, so very culturally diverse down here. I'm an hour away from New Orleans, so I'm in tune with Mardi Gras, Bourbon Street, all of the celebrations that go on down here. It's now part of my life.
0: And they had Mardi Gras literally like a week before things shut down, if I'm if I'm correct. Right? They
1: did have Mardi Gras, and I think that's part of the reason everyone's attributing that Louisiana is so terribly... Um, affected by COVID is that Mardi Gras had just happened, you know, people from all over the world and especially all over the country come down here to celebrate all of the parades and the festival season and so on and so forth. And so I think that that's a major part of why Louisiana has, we're almost at 20,000 cases. Actually, we probably are over 20,000 now once I update the numbers.
0: But you're holding up. Okay.
1: Yeah, I'm good. I'm well, I'm safe so far. Hopefully. My young age will keep me healthy <laughs> through this. I have, I do know a couple people though that are a few years younger than me in Houston that were fighting for air for two and a half weeks. So, as much as they say it's only affecting the elderly, it is uh, causing people of all ages to really have to fight for their lives. So, yeah, avoid it at all costs. I'm a big fan of the social distancing thing. <laughs> I literally have not seen any human life besides um, my girlfriend and my coworkers three of them that i see while i work and my two dogs and that is it
0: yeah so yeah are are the golf courses are they closed down there
1: you know they are open here i well i would assume they're open i drove by one of them recently and i saw people golfing i haven't heard anything about them being closed again i'm very out of touch with golf down here but the fact that i saw so many people golfing when i drove by i would assume that they're open
0: yeah, it's amazing. It's so day to day, and you know, state to state is different. But also, public courses yeah, I've versus seen a lot private of courses. In Maine
1: started getting that petition going. Yeah, I would assume that as well. Yeah. Which so, I, I mean, I guess if they're going to lay down a state rule about it, I don't, I don't know how you deem that any different than hiking. Although, as you are in tune to, I tried to go hiking this morning in some trails, and all of our parks here are now closed. So I guess they are considering it one in the same i don't know
0: yeah i mean they they pretty much just want to lock us in our houses i mean that's that's what they're looking for so
1: yeah i will um, say though seeing how bad it is here and how quickly it spread i don't completely disagree with it i see both sides of the argument but i will say like it needs to be a proactive lockdown because if it doesn't it's going to turn into i mean look at new york city that's the scariest example but even here our hospitals are already overflowing. A couple of my coworkers there, girlfriends, are nurses, and it is terrifying. One of them has never worked on ventilators, and they were like, here, go figure out how to work a ventilator, Ugh. because they just need the capacity for it.
0: Wow. Well, let's, let's transition to some better days. Um, you know, growing up in Maine and Saco, and how did you get into the game, and, and where did that, that sort of love for the game start for you?
1: Okay. Um, I was about 11 years old, I believe. My dad was a golfer. Um, My brother would play with my dad every now and then. And my sister is the only one in the family that still to this day does not play golf. Although when I take her to the driving range, she can grip it and rip it pretty well. But I knew the high school coach at Thornton Academy where I was going to be going to high school, coach Mike Verrier. I grew up with his kids. He lived in the same neighborhood as myself. Um, he ran Palace Playland Amusement Park in Old Orchard Beach. And I just, for some reason, one summer going into high school, I was like, you know what? I want to try to make the golf team. And I correct myself, actually. The coach at the time was Mr. Mike Tate. And then Coach Warrior took over. But I, for some reason, was like, oh, my gosh, I want to make this golf team. It was all boys, which in Little League Baseball, I was the only girl in the league. So that wasn't necessarily something that was foreign to me. But I knew Thornton Golf was somewhat prestigious in the state, if you would, and had a very competitive team. And at the time, there was only a varsity team of 12 people. So I realized how competitive that was going to be. And in that, the golf course also kind of became free childcare for my parents, if you will. My mom would drop myself and Eric Donnellan off at, you know, eight in the morning on her way to work. And then we'd get picked up when it got dark. And we would have lunch there and we would just play as much golf as we could. And that is how I developed my golf game. I've never had a lesson or anything. I think it was just a matter of trial and error of being out there playing golf every single day.
0: No, it's funny. We just had a conversation with uh, Cole Anderson and he said kind of the same thing, drop, drop him off of the golf course in the the morning and he's there all day and the pros and the the staff at the club just kind of look after, you know, look after the golfers and, so, I think at- I was
1: lucky because of my father having been a member there and obviously a somewhat well-known golfer. I mean, all his friends were there. All the club staff knew my dad. And so it was kind of like, oh, that's John's daughter, you know. And uh, they kind of would look out for me in that sense as if At Bidford Soccer, juniors weren't supposed to play before 2 o'clock and a lot of times if there was a threesome going out and they saw me on the practice screen or whatever they might say hey do you want to join in with us and that was kind of a good shoe in to be able to get out before two but it was kind of just hang around on the practice area until two o'clock struck or if they didn't have booked tea times so we could sneak out a little early
0: from my understanding it's a very busy golf course uh correct mm-hmm. bideford Saco.
1: Yeah, the tourism especially, too. So it's technically like a private or semi-private club. I don't know how they really label it, but it is membership paid. Um, however, it is open to the public as well via call-in tea times. And because of its location right on the uh, border of Saco Old Orchard Beach, the tourism that we get as far as play is massive. And that's probably part of the reason why they're able to sustain such a nice golf course with a low membership fees is because of all of the money they have coming in from the tourism. You know, I don't know that for a fact, so that's just my opinion, but I would guess that that's a huge boost to their funding as far as keeping the golf course up and in good shape.
0: Yeah. And I, I think last I heard, they have like a wait list for their membership. So, but you know, really cool uh, old course. And they you know, they updated that back nine at um, definitely a good mm-hmm. place to grow up and play at. huh?
1: Yeah, it was excellent. It's an excellent walking course, a typical Donald Ross design where you finish one hole and you walk to the tee within 20 feet of that, that green so um very old school as far as most of the difficulty in the course and i'm not discrediting it by any means there are other challenges but the greens are really going to make or break your game um the certain breaks there's rumors or old wives' tales and myths that the, the greens are always going to break towards the river or marsh or ocean whichever side of the golf course you're on so
0: i remember when i mean back in the day when we were playing together you were you were one of the best putters I think I ever, I ever saw. So I'm sure growing up on those greens helped you. So.
1: Probably did, but who knows? <laughs> I had my share of three putts too.
0: <laughs> Tell me about your time at, at Thornton Academy. You guys, uh, you know, you win a state title and, and what was that experience like? You, you know, you mentioned a little bit playing on a, an all men's team as well.
1: I loved it. Um, going into it. I mean, you were already aware of how, Prestigious, like I had mentioned once before, the Thornton golf team was. And when, on the first tee at Biddeford Saco Country Club, there's a sign itself that says "Home of, you know, the Thornton Academy State Championship Golf Team with the years and whatever." And growing up at the course, I kind of already knew a lot of those people. And plus, just from being around town, Saco obviously most communities in Maine are small communities, and you know everybody. And if you don't know them, your parents know the other parents and whatever. And so I knew obviously a lot of people from just growing up at the golf course. And um, it was very healthy competition. And I think that's what kept Thornton's wheels turning as far as the competition is that everybody knew they had to be better in order to remain in their spot on the team, if you will. And nothing was guaranteed. You know, if you weren't going to break, I mean, if you weren't shooting within a few shots of par on your nine hole practice days, you weren't going to be playing in a match. You had to be very stiff in your competition, and I mean, some of the names, I mean, I know a lot of them have gone on to, you know, be professional golfers as far as teaching pros. I know Nick Booten, I think, is still a teaching pro. Bryce Farron worked for Nike Golf for a long time. I'm not sure what he's doing now, but everybody that played at Thornton for the most part stuck with the game of golf in one facet or another, whether it was turned it into a career or maybe they still compete.
0: Yeah, I think you guys – I mean, you guys were shooting, like, what, in the 290s consistently? Yeah, I believe –
1: I don't think it was a year I was there, but I think maybe after the year I graduated and they won the state championship, I think that they set the state record for team score. I think it was, like, 290 even maybe. I'd have to look that up. But I know that they had broken the record.
0: So let's let's talk a little bit about your time at, at Daniel Webster.
1: Yeah, let's. So I actually, after high school, took a small hiatus from golf, which I feel like I've done my entire life, and most people know about that, and it frustrates a lot of people, but I just kind of get sick of the game every now and then and don't play for a few years, and I'm in one of those periods now with the move and everything, but uh, I went to USM for three years, and then when I transferred and decided I want to pursue aviation... Um, I transferred to Daniel Elmster College and they also had a men's only team. And again, it was a very small aviation school, maybe 800 students total. But I said, what the heck, I might as well get some free golf out of it because their home course was a very nice private country club in Nashua um, where the school is located. And so I took advantage of that. Um, I played on the all men's team in college while I was there. And it was a lot of fun. I mean, it, it wasn't necessarily like, a very seriously taken sport or a uh, team if you will like we practiced and we went to tournaments and whatever but I think the general consensus on the team was like a lot of us are just kind of doing this to be able to play free golf so it worked out in my favor you know I I thrive on competition that's partly why I love golf so much Is I love competition I am a competitor through and through I mean, through this quarantine, I've been playing Yahtzee nonstop, and I expect to win my Yahtzee games. So I just like to compete, and I think that's probably what I miss most about the game, but that is what has led me into playing lots of golf, whether it was in high school or college or state tournaments, whatever it might be. I just enjoy the nature of competition.
0: Yeah, I remember – I think we got paired together. I don't know if it was our – were you guys in our conference or was that ECACs?
1: It was at ECACs I believe. What con- what conference? We were NECC.
0: Yeah, okay, so, so it was you were I,
1: NECC as well, right? Yeah,
0: so that was our that was my freshman year and it was our conference mm-hmm. championship. And I remember we got paired together. I just thought it was the coolest thing being able to, to play a a conference tournament, <laughs> <laughs> Division 3 golf and here I am with Emily Bouchard. That's awesome.
1: Yeah, and the entire time, all I was doing was bragging to my coach and my team. Every time you would get up on the seat, hey, watch his swing. It's the best swing I've ever seen. And I still to this day, (laughs) believe it, Henry Fall has the best, the smoothest, the most fluid golf swing I've ever seen in my life.
0: It's funny because I was telling my coach and the guys on my team, hey, watch Emily Bouchard. She's going to go beat me (laughs) today.
1: (laughs) I love it. I love it. It's wild. I told my parents you were doing a podcast now and that you should they should tune in. And uh, as soon as I said, Henry Fall, my mom was like, oh, yeah, one of your juniors. And I'm like, mom, they're not juniors anymore. You know, they eventually grow up and they go on to bigger and better things, too.
0: <laughs> right. So, I mean, you were, you previously worked at MSGA as a, as a junior golf intern. I mean, I remember those days. Those days. Well, you and Joey Hamilton. Great days. So, yeah. The crew. Um, the crew. Yeah. So you win the Main Am. From 2011 to 2013, three years in a row, uh, can you talk a little bit about, you know, that event, what it meant to you in in those three years defending?
1: Yeah, sure. I mean, honestly, it was pretty wild. I had never played in the Main Am Championship before, and that was when I was working for Nancy. And she was always on my back about, hey, you need to play, you need to play, you need to play. But a lot of it, as you know, is we were always driving all over the state running these tournaments. So I didn't always have that much time to play. And when I did have free time, the last place I wanted to be was at a golf course. And so I just said, you know what, 2011, I'm playing. I had actually that spring six weeks or eight weeks, something like that earlier had um, uh, arthroscopic knee surgery done because I had a cyst that grew behind my patella from a ski injury. And so I didn't know what my timing was going to be like as far as playing golf and stuff. And it all worked out. I ended up playing and I won. And I, honestly didn't even it's so wild henry i don't want to get into too many details about the penobby one which was 2011 but at Scott valley my dad caddied for me and nancy of course being the executive director of the msda they came out to help the women's association run it and that first round was like something of my main ams that's what i remember the most because it was one of those rounds where you feel like no wrong can happen like Everything was, was going in the hole for me. And when I finished on the 18th green, I remember walking off and Nancy, who I had a very good relationship with from knowing her my whole life and her, her working, you know, as my boss and whatever, she walked up to me and literally picked me up on the green <laughs> or that might've been after the final round. I don't remember exactly, but came up to me and goes, what was your number? And I literally said, I have no idea, Nancy, but like, I knew it was something ridiculous. And she goes, no, but like, what was your number? And I was like, I really don't know. I'm going to have to sit down and you know, look at it or whatever. And meanwhile, in my head, I'm just like, I know I played excellent golf. I don't even know how I made half the putts I made, but I did. And I was awfully proud of it. And it ended up being – I shot seven under in the first round. And all of a sudden, it was like, who wow. is this Emily Bouchard girl? So you and just- I felt like the same thing. Like, who – I mean, these people must have been like, where has she been? Why has she not been playing in this? And it really, there's no way for me to explain it because I've had to do a lot of explaining as far as why I've played sometimes and why I haven't. And it comes down to, I felt like playing that year. You know, sometimes I didn't feel like playing. And that's how my life is now. You know, I miss competing right now, but I I don't miss it enough to go out and start entering these tournaments again. I was in this ridiculous zone. My dad... I'm telling you, my dad was on the bag and he probably the whole time was kind of like looking around like, is this real life? I would think, but I just made everything. I think I had nine birdies. That's it's crazy. something wild. I'd have to look at it. It may or may not have been the course record for women at Penabi. I would assume so just based off. I mean, look, I don't, I am fully aware that's a ridiculous number to shoot. You know, I, I fully understand that. I don't know. It's, It's crazy. I look back now, and as proud as I am of those accomplishments, I was just telling somebody the other day, like, I'm very proud of winning those three Main Am tournaments. And I think because I'm so disconnected now, maybe I've lost touch of a little bit of how special they are. But I, I know that it's something that can never be taken away from me. And to be honest, the trophies that I have, I have many of them displayed in my house right now, because I am proud of it. However, I will say, I am way more proud of like my career in the life I'm living and so on and so forth. And that just kind of puts things in perspective, you know, like sports are what makes this world go round and that's coming from somebody that's a huge sports fanatic. However, there are a lot bigger things in life, but that is something that I will forever have. And I remember distinctly the trophy I got in 2011 was a Tiffany's silver platter that had everybody's names engraved on it. And I think the first year was like, is something crazy in the early 1900s. I mean, Penny Cummings is on there like 75 times or something. That's obviously an exaggeration, but it deserves to be 75 if it's not. Martha White is on there numerous times. Kristen Kanegieser. And so my name was the last one engraved on there because it was being retired. It's now, I believe, in the main Golf Hall of Fame display. Or it might be at the MSGA, which I think are possibly co-located now. But I got to hold that or keep it in my possession for a full year. And I mean, the tray itself is all silver and rumored to be worth several thousand dollars. So that was <laughs> a little bit nerve wracking in general. Pretty cool. If you were to see that tray, my name will be the last name that's engraved on there for 2011. And that's that's really cool. That was, not one was more special than the next, but my dad was on the bag with me for all of them, which is obviously very special. He got me into the game. And frankly, he is the reason why I know how to swing a golf club. So...
0: That's, I mean, that's an awesome story. And, you know, one thing I I remember from playing with you is just what a gamer you were. I mean, and you played quickly or just aggressive, just go for it. And, you know, just get up and knock the putt in and go to the next shot. And, you know, when you Mm -hmm. were talking about kind of being in that zone, uh, you know, I was, I was thinking of a question to ask you, but I'm like, I don't even need to ask a question because you you just go to the next shot. You you erase the bad ones. And that's how I viewed you is just, um, you know you just went to the next shot you just hit the the next one better
1: so um, right well I think that's one of the biggest things about golf is my dad always just said he was going to chase the little white ball and that's really what this game is is you hit the ball and you don't have a choice but to go hit it again you can't improve your lie you can't take a second redo there's no mulligans your options are walk up to the dang ball and hit it again and I feel like dwelling and a lot of this I learned too from watching all the juniors when I was running that program is the more you dwell on a shot that you just took that might not have gone as you had planned the worse your next shot's going to be or possibly the more at risk that next shot is for something going wrong you know golf is such a mental process I don't want to misquote it but there's that quote about golf being a five inch game and it's a distance between your head or whatever as in it's completely mental and it I fully believe in that I mean of course it takes some physical ability as far as flexibility and strength and whatever but golf is a mental game and it's a battle with yourself in the golf course because at the end of the day if you shoot six over par and your competitor shot four over par there's nothing that you can do about that you shot six over par it's not that your competitor beat you to the ball first it's not that you missed, um, you couldn't have blocked their putt from going in, you know, it's just, that is the game of golf.
0: Yeah, no, that's, that's great. And I, I think that's something that our listeners can definitely, uh, you know, they've probably heard it before, but it helps to uh, reiterate is that, um, you know, moving on from poor shots and just focusing on what you can control and that's the next shot. So you defend Mm -hmm. in 2012 and 2013, um, all during that time frame, now that the the Southern Maine Women's uh, Golf Association and the, the Maine's, uh, Maine Women's Golf Association have come together, uh, did you know about that, and, and what was uh, your feeling on
1: that? Yeah, um, <laughs> that's a tough question because I was so out of tune with the women's competition. Also, I want to throw one more name out there, Alexa Rancourt. Real quick, I didn't yes. need to leave her out, but she uh, came in as one of my juniors, and I remember—I'll get right back to that, Henry. But if I could, real briefly, yeah, absolutely. she hadn't really played much golf, got into it, and I—I kind of pat myself on the back a little bit and take a little bit of credit for her getting into golf because she was shooting, you know, high nineties, maybe even low one hundreds at one point, and I was just waxing her. And then before you know it, she played golf all summer and turned around and she was waxing me. You know, and uh, it's because of her dedication to it. But she obviously had quite a golf career. And I think I look at her a little bit like myself. I think that she probably has taken some hiatuses from golf and maybe even still to this present day, whatever she's choosing to do. But um, when she was competing, she was winning by, you know, 10, 15, 20 strokes a tournament. I'd have to look up the actual stats of that, but it was significant. Um, But as far as the women's associations go, I was very out of touch with it. Um, I worked for the MSGA, and I always wondered why it wasn't just one massive association like most other states do. Um, And then within that, there was the SMWGA and the WMSGA. To me, I didn't really know the difference besides location-wise. It ended up, from what I learned, and this might be inaccurate, but it ended up being a very political type of dispute as far as the two associations I'm glad they've merged I'm glad that now the MSGA works in part with them I think it all benefits the state of Maine um and you know whether it was old school versus new school whatever it might have been I just think that at the end of the day what needs to be on the forefront is the game of golf and building and continuing to grow that game because I think in a state like Maine when, where our seasons are so short it's hard to get people into it and keep them in it and when I refer to people, I'm I'm talking to the um, 12-year-old girl who wants to make her high school golf team. You know, how do you get her into the game of golf? Because it is a dry and slow game when you're picking it up. It can be very challenging to get you to take interest in it. How do you get them to stick to it and build the game? I will say now, I, I try to keep in touch with following the women's game. Um, and I think that we have a lot of young girls that are picking up the game and sticking with it, whether it's due to their mothers or their fathers getting them involved, whatever it might be. But the biggest thing is there should be one goal in mind and that's just growing the game. Whether that was being done with three associations in our state or if it's being done better with one association, I don't know the numbers or the facts of that. But I personally think that as it is now under one massive association, that's the way it should be
0: you know, it sounds like it's really worked out and they're, they're, you know, they're all on the same page. And I, I just think that the long-term it's going to really benefit uh, Maine golf as, as a whole. So, I, you know, when, when you were winning those main AMS and um, did you have any thoughts on potentially playing professionally and, and making a career out of that? I know, I mean, you were working with the MSGA as well. So.
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. Um, when after that first round up Scott Valley, that was one of the questions. Um, that I took. <laughs> you know, of course, all kinds of chaos ensued after that. I, I remember Nancy telling me, you know, at the scores table at the scores table, excuse me, Emily, you know, take a deep breath and don't walk out there until you're ready because and I had seen it happening from running tournaments on the men's side. You know, I saw Ryan Gabe bombarded with media. The newspaper guys just want to ask him all the questions. The TV guys want to get a quick 30 second clip of him saying something about his ground, whatever it might be. And I remember I did a radio uh, interview. I don't remember the station, but it must've been the Bangor area because we were at Panabi and the guy asked me about going pro and I'm sitting there like, man, like I'm flattered that people are asking me this and I'm flattered that you've asked me this. However, my response then is going to be the same. Now I've never had a lesson which means I'd have to hire a coach or a teacher, whatever it might be. I don't know how I would take that. I don't know how my swing would adjust. I've never really made any swing changes. Like, I'm kind of just a, I swing a golf club and it happens to work out for me type of person. (laughs) I don't know how that would work for me. And frankly, I love the game of golf, but not enough to make it a career. And I think that my experience with the MSGA when I worked for them is exactly the answer that I needed to gain that knowledge is that I worked in the career of golf for years running tournaments and when I wasn't working I didn't want to put myself back at a golf course I love the game of golf for the competition and the enjoyment of it and I don't want it to have to pay my bills
0: you know there's certainly times in this industry it's like you get taken away from what you love about it is being out in the golf course, being with your friends and, and, and the competition of it. And if you're at the golf course all day long, sometimes it's just like, man, give me a break. you know. So
1: I, yeah, I definitely can. And not to mention, that. I mean, the long hours of it, you know, I, I go to work right now and I know I'm working no more than 10 hours a day. Typically it's eight at the most I can work 10 in a day. Whereas if you are running a tournament, if you're on the administration side of it, or if you were a teaching pro, you are getting to the golf course at, you know, sometimes 5.30, 6 in the morning, and you're not leaving until the sun sets 6.30, 7.30 at night. And that is a long day to do that day in, day out. And I just have too many other things in life that I'd like to do besides living at a golf course, as peaceful as they are.
0: So have you been playing at all in the last few years? Do you just kind of go out and maybe when you visit, when you come home, or how does that work?
1: Man, I knew that question was coming. (laughs) I was trying to prepare myself. Um, I have not played much golf. I left Maine in the fall of 2016. So I'm sorry, the fall of 2015. So about four and a half years ago, I started this journey of my new career and moving and, and now I'm in Louisiana, so on and so forth. I haven't really played. I've brought my golf clubs with me everywhere I've been. Um, I go to top golf here because that's thrilling and I love it. I've been to the driving range a couple times here, but as far as playing golf, no. However, when I was home on vacation last summer, I did play a couple rounds of golf with my mom at Biddeford Saco, And it really, you know, made me miss it. I enjoyed it a lot. I missed the competition of it. That's the biggest thing is that I miss competing. However, I think that it's difficult when you move, somewhere where you don't necessarily know anybody. I don't want to say I don't have connections necessarily and that I couldn't make them, but it would be a lot easier to pick up the clubs and go play golf with all the people that I know back home. Whereas here, I don't know anybody. I would have to be, first of all, this sounds so terrible to say, but I don't want to be a greens fee paying golfer. You know, I was very lucky to grow up a member of a country club and I want to do that again if I'm going to be playing golf. The problem is, is down here, to be at a decent club membership is thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars and I just don't I wouldn't be utilizing it enough for me to make it worth my money to do so and I don't have that circle of friends I don't have the circle of golf buddies if you will to play down here so I think once I get to wherever my next stop is going to be hopefully I get out of here eventually I think that's when I'm going to really try to plant some roots as far as playing some golf again and getting back in the tournament game and competing with people.
0: Yeah, no, I'd, I'd love to see that. And um, so I, 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 now as far as like the Zurich classic down there, and I'm not sure if the LPGA goes down there, but are you, have you gone out to the Zurich to, to watch the, the PGA tour?
1: I actually have not been to any PGA tour events before. And the Zurich has been on my bucket list. I have not been. I've heard it's awesome, though.
0: Well, yeah, they I think changed it was, the format, too. It's, when
1: is that in the fall or is that in the spring? Do you know?
0: I actually want to say it's, like, middle of the season normally. I, I'd have to look it up. But uh, I know they changed the format, so now it's a, a two-man event. And, uh, I like, I remember – one shot that comes to mind is Kevin Kisner's chip in on 18 and this people are going nuts. It was just awesome. Yeah. It looks like a fun
1: event. I think first of all, the atmosphere for a golf tournament down here would be insane. I'm telling you, Henry, <laughs> there's Crawford. nothing like the atmosphere down here. Oh, it's wild. People are, <laughs> yeah. Every single day is a party and it doesn't matter what hour it is. That's um, great. But yeah, I, uh, I think it, it might be a fall tournament cause you got to remember too down here in the summertime, you can't play golf here in the summer. It's hundred degrees and humid. It feels like 190 degrees practically. Um, but I think that it might be a fall thing. And I tried to go this past year, but for whatever reason it might've been my work schedule or something conflicted with it. But I, I would, I even mentioned my dad trying to fly down to come to that tournament with me because that'd be a blast.
0: Yeah. So, um, you know, growing up in Maine, playing junior golf, playing college golf, what, what's some advice that I, I, you kind of mentioned something earlier about, uh, to you know junior golfers growing up, especially you know female golfers, what's something that you could maybe offer them as far as some advice goes, getting in that transition from you know first starting in the game and then developing their skills and going to college?
1: Mhm I think the biggest thing is um, do it for yourself and do it for the enjoyment and fun of it. Don't play golf to to please anybody else. Um, I know that there's a lot of Pressure from parents and grandparents. And I've seen that from running a junior tour and uh, being a high school golf coach as well when I spent time coaching at Thornton. Um, I think that the biggest thing that I see that's problematic is a lot of kids fall out of the love because of it becoming a chore almost. Not that they want to go play golf, it's that maybe mom or dad is like, no, you need to go play golf. Like you have practice in three weeks, whatever it might be. Or grandparents that might want to vicariously live through their children which i think the support of it is great you know a lot of grandparents spend a lot of time bringing their kids to all kinds of tournaments throughout the state but i've seen some big problems where there needs to be a step taken back let these kids go out and chase the ball around let them have fun with their friends if they three putt that's okay if they happen to hit into the hazard that's okay if they don't break a hundred that's completely okay whatever it is like the the forefront of it needs to be for fun because it is a sport it's supposed to be enjoyable and if it isn't enjoyable and there's too much pressure a kid is going to crumble I mean they're just not it's going to leave a bad taste in their mouth and I've seen it happen numerous times through me working for the MSGA and my time as a high school coach and I even worked for the first tee for a year um, you have to let these kids find their niche and golf might not be their niche and that's completely okay. Is it good to expose them to it? By all means, let's expose them to golf and give them the chance to like it, but give them that chance, drop them off, let them go play, let them learn on their own and just take a step back and watch. If it blooms on its own, that's excellent. If it doesn't, that is completely okay too.
0: That's great. Um, So I I just got a few more questions for you. We we have a little segment. It's a sort of rapid fire, but we call it wicked fire um so wicked fire wicked fire all right so top five courses in your mind in the state of Maine
1: oh man I saw you post this the other day and it got me thinking I'm gonna go number one favorite soccer country club because that's my roots number two Portland country club because it's also a Donald Ross design and it's absolutely beautiful number three Cape Rundle number four oh Henry this is tough Belgrade and number five, man, this is a tough one, Henry. I'm going to shout out to Valhalla for the sake of the fact that they have built junior golf with Brian Bickford as the forefront to be massive in the state of Maine. And Valhalla <laughs> has hosted umpteen tournaments every single year. They have done everything they possibly can to grow the game of golf. So I'm going Valhalla number five.
0: Wow. That is, that is an interesting top five. I like that. All right, so number yeah. two, uh, your golfing idol growing up.
1: My golfing idol, huh? This is supposed to be wicked fire struggling. <laughs> I'm going to have to go with my dad for sure.
0: Okay. I think I saw an article where you might have said Annika Sorenstam at one point. but
1: Yeah, you know, it's funny because as soon as I said my dad, I was like, well, Annika Sorenstam maybe. But if you think of the reason behind that, being a female golfer growing up, who's the greatest female golfer ever? Annika Sorenstam. So it's like a, it's like a shoe in. Yeah. But if we're talking like who I really would think about, if somebody said golf, the first person I think of is my dad. Cause he got me into it. That's awesome. Don't cry dad.
0: <laughs> All right. Last question. If you were to be in Maine tomorrow, what would be the first place outside of your house and your family to go to? Oh boy, restaurant. I mean, if assuming the restaurants were open and we weren't in. This yeah,
1: situation. it's uh. I'm gonna have to go with Amato's
0: Amato's okay.
1: Yeah, I needed an Amato's Italian. <laughs> I
0: love it. All right, Emily. There's White, so
1: many good Emily. options, though.
0: <laughs> I really appreciate you coming on. Um, for our, For our listeners at home, if if they want to catch up with you, is it, do you have uh, some social media? Where where can we find you?
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, of course, I've got the Facebook. I'm not the best when it comes to social media, though. But if people want to reach out, by all means, I'm here to chat. Uh, I also have Instagram. I believe it's just EA Boosh, B-O-U-C-H. And uh, that's as far as it goes for me. Of course, I have email. I have text and phone. I also have snail mail. I'm not going to give up my address. But if people want to come down to Louisiana, <laughs> I got a house to stay. You guys are all welcome. Uh, nice. But yeah, if anybody wants to catch up, by all means.
0: All right, we're all coming down for the Zurich Classic.
1: Sounds great. Let's party it up.
0: <laughs> all right, and you guys can reach us at Main Golf Talk as well on Instagram, and we are on iTunes and Spotify. And uh, Emily, again, thank you for coming on. I think there is a lot we can gain out of that conversation. We really appreciate it.
1: Thanks, Henry. I appreciate it. Nice talking to you, bud.
0: All right, and that is Main Golf Talk. Thanks.